The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you ever stopped to think that the best and worst place to live is in your mind? Think about it. We can create our own destiny or our own downfall. It all has to do with the way that we choose to think and see things. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, with your host, Dr. Paula Joyce. Dr. Paula is here with her guest experts to show you just how to change that negative way of thinking and see your world in a positive light. Now, here is Dr. Paula. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and I'm grateful to be here with and for you today. You are all part of a global community with fellow listeners in literally every corner of the world. Thank you for being here with and for me and for continuing to spread the word to your friends, relatives, and colleagues. And a special note of gratitude goes this week to our listeners around the world in England, Canada, and Australia, and in the states of Rhode Island, Hawaii, and Arizona. Welcome and thank you for your continuing support because you keep tuning in and listening. Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit is a top rank show here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the oldest and most widely listened to online talk radio network. Thank you for listening and making this show success possible. As I promised at the beginning of every show, at least through September, I'm going to lead you through three exercises that we can all do to help stop or lessen the severity and frequency of the natural disasters that have been plaguing the earth. I'm doing it them at the beginning of each show so you can find them easily and do them with me every day or at the very least every week. The wonderful thing about it is that as you help Mother Earth to clear the negative energy, you will also be clearing yourself of fears and other negative energies that are harmful to you. So please spread the word for yourself, your families, your local communities, our global community, and the Earth itself. For more information on this topic, listen to our May 28th on-demand show with Psychic Dwan Washington by going to my website, paulajoyce.com. Here are the three techniques to help clear yourself and the earth of fear. Please do them with me. The first one is an affirmation. I am love as I am loved. You are love as you are loved. All is love, as all is loved. The second one is a visualization. If you have trouble visualizing, then just listen to the words. Close your eyes and see a beautiful pink heart full of love, shining pink light down on you. See and feel the pink light going through your body, down to your feet and into the ground where the pink light is filling and healing all of the fault lines in the earth, the oceans, the floodplains, the volcanoes, the winds. The last technique is a chant. First, I'm going to say it and then you can chant it with me. Om, ah, ha, ah, om, Um, 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 ah, ha, ah, um, um, um. Know that as you do these three techniques, you are helping to fill yourself and the earth with pink healing energy, which is balancing all the energies and helping to create calm and peace within yourself 
and the earth. These techniques are particularly helpful for anyone who has been abused or is self-abusing. Please share these techniques widely. I feel so strongly about the importance of helping to clear ourselves of fear and negativity that I created another workshop. This one helps you experience your past lives. It's important to know about our lives before this one because they are often the source of confusing feelings of deja vu, healthy and unhealthy relationships, special talents, gifts, and knowledge, fears, and phobias health and personal challenges. We often spend years in therapy or miserably blaming our childhood for our difficulties when it's really something we brought into this life from another life. With my process, you will discover what you need to know, keep the positive, and let go of what's hurting you. I was trained by Dr. Brian Weiss, and I use a gentle process in which you always feel safe and in control, whether you just want to learn more about your soul's journey through different lifetimes or want to heal something in your current life. The information you're ready to know will emerge. We'll meet at the Center for Spiritual Living in Dallas, September 19th from 2 to 3.30. You can learn more about the importance of past lives by listening to our on-demand shows with Dr. Bernie Siegel and Dr. Dave DeSano. Go to my website, paulajoyce.com, to listen to those shows and register for my workshop, Past Life Regression. Or contact me about scheduling one in your community. Choosing to be positive, choosing to think, see, feel, and and act in new and healthier ways is the heart of Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. We all have choices, but we can't make the best choices for ourselves if we don't know what the options are. This show provides you with new information on health and healing with an emphasis on spirituality and the connection between our thoughts, emotions, and physical and mental health. We can all choose happiness, gratitude, and positivity as we allow ourselves to know the truth of our own experiences and feel the pain of our past or present life and let it go. We open ourselves up to the joy of being fully alive in every moment. We change the energy in our body and literally become younger, healthier, feel lighter and have more energy. We truly know and feel the joy, beauty and love in our lives. My show helps you do that by providing you with new information, perspectives and techniques, inspirational stories and guests who are thought leaders in their field. Like our guest today, Dr. James Garbarino, who will talk with us about the factors that lead someone to kill and the importance of having empathy for them and rehabilitating them. Last week, we had a fascinating conversation with with Linda Wooding, who talked with us about relationships and the choices we make. For last week's show or any of our other ones, please visit my website, paulajoyce.com, and click on radio show at the top of the navigation. How we respond to people who commit violent crimes, including murder, is more challenging. It's easy to have compassion for the victims and their families, to expand our empathy to the point of compassion for the perpetrators is harder. But in doing so, we actually grow our humanity and help human beings to evolve to higher levels of existence. A few years ago, I saw on an Oprah Winfrey show spotlighting Glenn Close and an organization that she supports called Puppies Behind Bars. Their purpose is to teach prisoners how to train puppies that will become service dogs for wounded war veterans. The brilliance of this project is that some of these prisoners experience love for the first time. They learn how to take responsibility for another living being. This requires them to learn life skills, and along the way they bond with the dogs and are able to trust and give and receive love within a safe relationship. When possible, the veterans 
will bring the dogs back for a visit with the prisoner who trained them. They filmed one such reunion, and it was very moving. The prisoners have a sense of pride knowing that they are contributing to someone else's well-being, and they have the experience of love, which changes them as human beings. When our prisoners focus when I'm sorry when our prisons focus on rehabilitation rather than punishment they are often able to help people truly change I want to emphasize often some people are not capable of change like psychopaths but those who are capable of change should be given the chance Successful programs exist and include first helping prisoners heal from the childhood abuse that they experienced, because without that healing, they cannot feel empathy for others. Once that healing occurs, then programs help them develop empathy for other people. A spiritual component of prayer and or meditation, along with reading, actually helps to change the prisoner's brain, the individual's brain, which promotes rehabilitation, even of killers. Our guest today, Dr. James Garbarino, is a passionate advocate of helping killers become empathetic, loving, and productive human beings. He holds the Maud C. Clark Chair in Humanistic Psychology and was founding director of the Center for the Human Rights of Children at Loyola University, Chicago. He was formerly professor of human development at Cornell University and is a fellow of the American Psychological Association. He has served as an advisor to the National Committee to Prevent Child Abuse, the National Institute for Mental Health, the American Medical Association, the U.S. Advisory Board on Child Abuse and Neglect, and the FBI. Dr. Garbarino is a prolific writer and sought-after speaker. He is best known for his book, Lost Boys, Why Our Sons Turn Violent and How We Can Save Them. And his latest book, Listening to Killers, Lessons Learned from My 20 Years as a Psychological Expert Witness in Murder Cases. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor. While listening to the commercials, go to paulajoyce.com. First, click on Register Now to read about and register for my workshop, Past Life Group Regression. Then click on Calendar of Events to see your question for today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Jim Garbarino to talk about the importance of having empathy for killers. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation. Whether it's individual or group, business or personal, attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214-208-3533 or visit PaulaJoyce.com today. Time for a fresh perspective from leadership development to team building and re-imaging your mission. Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. 
Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the life doctor, today at 214-208-3533 or visit paulajoyce.com. listening to uplift your life nourishment of the spirit with dr paula joyce to reach the show today please call 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 you may also send an email to dr paula joyce at gmail.com that's dr paula joyce at gmail.com now back to uplift your life nourishment of the spirit I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I hope that you thought about what else we can do to help protect children who are at risk. We're here with our guest expert, Dr. James Garbarino, to talk with us about the complexity of understanding, protecting, and caring for America's Killers. Welcome, Jim. It's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. And I'm thinking that my guests may be a little confused about why do we want to protect and care for people who have killed other people? Yeah, it's a very common response. Uh, Recently, um, somebody was organizing a, a talk for me to do, um, and they were saying, what book should we have around? And I said, well, you could have this new book, Listening to Killers. And they said, well, actually, I don't know if that's relevant because the conference is about trauma and child abuse. And I said, well, that's exactly why the book is relevant because the starting point is to see the, the developmental effect of trauma and child abuse in producing the people who then become killers, and if we don't see that connection, we just sort of disconnect from them as a separate breed, as uh, monsters, as uh, aliens. But when you really get inside their lives, as I've tried to do for the past 20 years, you see that the, the best starting point is to look at most of them as untreated, traumatized children who inhabit and control these scary men. That that's profound, and I'm so it's like there's this little child inside this full-grown adult, but we don't see the child who's hurt. We see this, as you say, scary, um, sometimes very muscular uh, man. Yeah, you know, one once you get that, this is in many ways a kind of problem of arrested development, you know, then you look at the research, for example, um, that finds that, you know, among toddlers, very young children, you know, children 20 months of age, uh, 90% of the boys, over 80% of the girls engage in very specific, aggressive, violent behavior, kicking, biting, punching, hitting. Um, And we don't notice it because they're little and powerless. As one researcher said, imagine if tomorrow morning every toddler in America was now six foot two and weighed 220 pounds. Well, by tomorrow night, you know, most of America's parents and early childhood educators would be maimed or dead. And, and that's part of the issue that when you put the mind and the emotional regulation and the decision making of a toddler inside a big, scary, powerful man, you know, it, it sort of leads to a lot of trouble, and that's that's the kind of trouble we're talking about. So, and and I'm also wondering, though, because there are so many people who grow up with abuse, but they don't all become killers. What What's the difference? What distinguishes somebody who would turn to extreme violence versus somebody who may have grown up in a similar neighborhood and with a, an abusive parent or parents and yet doesn't become a killer? Well, of course, that's always, you know, it's a big question. It's always a question asked in court, you know, the 
Um, the prosecution often asks, well, you know, why this guy and not other abused children? And I think partly it has to do with um, the accumulation of uh, risk factors in the lives of these kids who become most of these killers in the sense that if the only experience, the only adverse experience you have is child abuse, um, the odds are pretty good that you will find ways to overcome it. You know, the Centers for Disease Control is now promoting this 10-item questionnaire called the Adverse Childhood Experience Scale. And each of the 10 items deals with some element of adversity in childhood, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, witnessing domestic violence, uh, poverty, a parent in prison, you know, substance abuse in a parent, all 10 of these factors. And they find that the score that you get on this 10-item questionnaire accounts for about half the variation in suicide, depression, substance abuse. So it's a very powerful indicator. Well, about two-thirds of Americans have a score of zero or one. If they have one, it's likely to be because their parents were separated or divorced. Uh, only about 2% have five or more. Uh, only one-tenth of a percent, that's one in a thousand people, has a score of eight, nine, and ten. And when I use this with guys that I interview on death row or murder cases, they routinely have scores of eight, nine, and often ten, which means they have an accumulation of adversity worse than 999 out of a thousand people. So that's just from the start. It's not just, you know, they're abused. They're abused with all these other things. If you start to add to that uh, any biological vulnerabilities they may have, you know, then, they, then they, they get to a smaller and smaller group, and the variation in the outcomes becomes smaller and smaller. Um, so that's an important part intellectually in understanding this, that we're talking about, for the most part, people who've experienced an accumulation of adversity in the absence of compensatory resources and experiences, and they may come to it with uh, sort of biological vulnerability that um, stacks the odds even higher against them. So, so in a way, they're kind of predetermined in a um, they're they're left with very little choice when they have such um, so many um, negative forces, so many forces working against them. Yeah, I was speaking about this recently in the question period. Somebody said, well, "What about free choice and personal responsibility?" And what I wanted to say was, "Well, all right, first they make the choice." Uh, to have a particular set of genes. And, of course, most of us don't think that's really a choice, but if you, if you think everything's a choice, well, then they choose to have these genes. They choose to be born in an abusive family. They choose to be born black in a racist society. And all these choices they make, and then, lo and behold, by the time they're 10 years old, 85% of them who've made all those choices prenatally or in, in infancy, all of a sudden now 85% of them are, quote, choosing to engage in a chronic pattern of aggression, bad behavior, acting out, and violating the rights of others. If you just start with the 10-year-old and say, look at those choices they're making, but is it just coincidence that 85% of them start making those choices, and if you don't make those choices about genes and abuse and race, uh, lo and behold, you know, it's not 85%, it's 10% or lower. So I think this developmental perspective really helps put in appropriate context the concept of what people are really choosing, whether it's a free choice or whether it has been shaped, their brains have been shaped, their pathways have been shaped by things that most of us would think are out of their control, like who you are genetically, to whom you're born, and to some degree even where you live as a child. Uh, yes, and that reminds me of something that you said about the Southern culture of honor and how that plays into uh, um, the large number. I think you said there are eight times as many African-American men who are um, convicted and, and uh 
of killing somebody and uh, versus other nationalities. That's huge. And you talked about the impact of the idea of, of the Southern culture of honor. Would you explain that, please? Sure. Just to be to clarify a bit, that it's the rate, the number per hundred thousand is eight times higher. But still, it works out to about half the murders are committed by African American males, who constitute about ten percent of the population. So it's a big wow. impact. And the Southern culture of honor is the the culture, the the idea that anyone who disrespects you or dishonors you is threatening your very psychological integrity or existence to the point where you have to engage in violence to restore your sense of personal integrity. And historians have pointed out this grew up in the Old South uh, because of, and it was created and brought by white Southerners, uh, particularly those from Scotland, who brought this culture of honor with them. It's the kind of culture in which dueling flourishes, uh, John C. Calhoun, who's a senator from South Carolina, white senator from South Carolina, said that his mother taught him that if he was out in the community and somebody disrespected him or his family, he had to either kill that person or be killed. She said, any other outcome and I will disown you as my son. So this grew up in the Old South, and even today research finds that uh, if, if you have northern young men and southern young men in a laboratory situation, they walk down a hallway, somebody bumps into them, and you not only look at what they say or what they say they would do, but the level of physiological arousal to the insult is greater in the southern young men than the northern young men. Well, this plays into race because although this southern culture of honor was created and brought to the south by white immigrants, it was absorbed by the African immigrants who, you know, were not there voluntarily, the slaves, and became internalized in their culture because they were Southern. And so it's not their African heritage, but their Southern heritage that puts them at risk, particularly because this is not a spontaneous uh, cause of violence. This is a kind of reactive violence. It only comes into play if somebody disrespects you or dishonors you. That's why it's so important that to understand that because of the racism and the legacy and the reality racism, these southern young men, particularly these black young men, get this evoked because racism leads to these messages of disrespect and disregard and dishonor, and then their southern culture is evoked from that. And that's very prominent in a lot of the murders that take place. And I think it's that that Southern culture of honor coupled with racism and and economic inequality, all those things together produce the situation in which the African-American male uh, murder rate is about eight times higher than others. And uh, addressing that, addressing all three of those elements is it's certainly important because even if you're an African-American male living in Chicago, chances are your ancestral roots are in the South, in Mississippi and Alabama uh, and so on. And, and the other thing that I, you don't talk about, but I'm wondering, it just occurred to me, you talk about the war zone mentality of kind of always being hyper alert and ready to strike out to protect yourself. And I'm thinking if you grew up, if your ancestors were slaves, there, you grew up with that sense of, of danger and potential harm. Uh, and, and that gets passed down. We've on other shows talked about how trauma can be um, uh, transmitted through the DNA from generation to generation. So that seems to me to be to add even more um, negative, another negative um, uh, adverse childhood experience that would that would up the ante in terms of, of making it even less likely that somebody could get out of a situation like that without causing harm to others. Yeah, I think that's a very important insight. Um, you know, there's a report issued just a few months ago 
documenting that in the Old South, in the period from Emancipation Proclamation until the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s, there were at least 5,000 lynchings, dismemberments, and torture cases aimed at the black population by white Southerners, designed to suppress them, to terrorize them. You know, people are all up in arms about ISIS. What ISIS has done is, you know, it was replicated for a century against black people in the Old South. And of course, you do have to wonder what's the legacy of living in a community where you are that vulnerable, where people from your group are not just lynched, but people were dismembered, people were beheaded, people were tortured. This is women, men, and children. And often as a community event, people would bring their children to watch that. So you have that legacy that, I think you're right, becomes embodied, not just culturally, but psychologically and perhaps even um, organically in people's brains, the sense of being under attack and being under threat. I don't know if you're familiar with what was called alligator baiting, but in the Old South there's documented cases where black children, black babies, would be taken from their parents, staked to the ground by a river in order to lure an alligator to come out, and the white person would either catch the alligator or kill it or skin it or eat it, whatever. But you have to imagine, what's the impact on a parent, on a community, when you're so powerless that your children can be taken that way and used as alligator bait? So all of this does build up. It builds up in the African population. It's built up in the Native American population, where I had a graduate student once who worked on the theme of loss and the Iroquois, the Native American group in New York State. Because you have to remember that at the time of the European contact, within a generation, about 90% of the indigenous people, Native Americans, died. And, you know, we know what the Holocaust meant to to Jews all over the world. We know what the Cambodian Holocaust meant to Khmer people. We know what the Holocaust meant to Armenians, the genocide. But for Native Americans, there is within, you know, centuries, this legacy of a 90% die-off in one generation. And I think you're right. These traumas become collective traumas, and they reverberate down through the years across generations. And um, before we go to break, I just want to add to that list that you created, rape and um, just disrespect. I mean, total disrespect. To enslave somebody is to say that you're worthless. You know, you're less than human. You're only property. Um, So uh, a a horrible legacy. Um, We are about to go to break, but before that, I also want to say that I think when we come back, I'd really like to talk about also why 90% of the killers are men And then let's take the positive look of rehabilitation, transformation, the potential for change and for creating a positive life after having been sentenced for murder. And and also this idea of, of... changing the system, what we can do to do that. So let's focus on that when we come back. We're, um, gonna, we'll be right back. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation. Whether it's individual or group, business or personal, attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214-208-3533 or visit PaulaJoyce.com today. Time for a fresh perspective from leadership development to team building and re-imaging your mission. Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. 
Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the life doctor, today at 214-208-3533 or visit paulajoyce.com. listening to uplift your life nourishment of the spirit with dr paula joyce to reach the show today please call 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 you may also send an email to dr paula joyce at gmail.com that's dr paula joyce at gmail.com now back to uplift your life nourishment of the spirit If you're just tuning in, welcome back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor. I hope that you went to our question of the day and wrote down what you can do to help protect the children who are at risk for violence. We're here talking with Dr. Jim Garbarino about how we can rehabilitate killers and even better prevent killing in America. Um, Jim, I was wondering this number of 90% of the killers being men is so huge, um, so disproportionate. What, why are there so many men versus women who are killers in the United States? Well, you know, when I set out to write uh, this book, Listening to Killers, this was very much on my mind. You know, I'd written a book in 1999 called Lost Boys, and then uh, about 10 years later wrote a book called See Jane Hit about aggression in girls. So I've been wrestling with these gender issues and violence and aggression for a long time. I think that there are several things going on. One simply is the genetic vulnerability of males uh, generally. You know, there's a gene, the MAOA gene, that is implicated in having problems with managing stress and arousal. Um, about 30% of males have that gene sort of turned off, which makes them vulnerable, as opposed to about 9% of females have it turned off, which makes them vulnerable. So from the start, there's, you know, almost four times greater vulnerability in the male baby to getting derailed developmentally because of the stress and arousal, uh, in particularly of child abuse. So, you know, kids who have this gene turned off and live in abusive families, about 85% of them end up in this chronic pattern of aggression, bad behavior, acting out by the time they're 10, and which puts them on the fast track for later, more severe violence. So there's that to start with, and you know, most disabilities are more common among males. The second thing, of course, is the male culture that says it's better to be mad than to be sad. And this turning of sadness and replacing it or displacing it into aggression is a very common uh, male phenomenon. I certainly can see that all the time, that most people don't see these guys as hurt and hurting. But when I'm able to connect with their inner life, you know, they are. Um, You know, a boy who, remember a boy who was about 15, really tough, admitted to something like 32 strong-arm robberies on the street, a really tough-as-nails kid. When we got to the point in the interview when I talked about how his mother abandoned him, when he was a young child, he literally stuck his thumb in his mouth and started rocking in his chair. It was that sort of primitive and infantile. But you would never know that because he's defended against that so much. And that the cost of that is this sort of, you know, better to be tough, better to be aggressive, which, of course, other kids respond to as, well, then I'm going to be tough and aggressive, and there's a kind of arms race that goes on. Uh, so I think that's part of it. <clears throat> Um, I think another part of it is, you know, if you look at research on uh, resilience, uh, the ability to deal with adversity, there's growing evidence, I think, that on average, certainly in America, American girls are more resilient than American boys, some of it having to do with biology, some of it having to do with culture, some of it having to do with the kinds of socializing experiences they get. So you have all of that going on. And then, of course, there's the question of... um, cultural scripts um you know it's hard it's hard for any boy to escape the cultural script that violence and aggression is 
what men do, what boys do, as problem-solving, as a response to anger, and so on. But some of that has shifted for girls a bit, but, but girls have some protections against it, and even though I think the gap in general aggressive behavior has narrowed for boys and girls, physically aggressive behavior, this extreme endpoint has held up pretty well this 90% figure for quite a long time. So it's really, you know, the product of a lot of forces at work. Um, some, as I say, some cultural, some biological, some uh, psychological, but I don't, I don't know that it's going to change very soon, if, if at all, because those forces are, for the most part, in place. Well, and, and hopefully we will find ways to begin to tackle some of these things. You comment on the waste of human potential, the many of these killers are intelligent and creative, and we're sentencing them to long years of um, not being able to to contribute to society. How And you talk about in some other countries where there's shorter incarceration and that that's actually better for rehabilitation. Yeah, I think particularly when we're talking about young offenders, there's something fundamentally wrong with the idea that a 16-year-old will commit an act and you will have a permanent solution to that. The Supreme Court recognized a while back that you can't execute 16-year-olds even for murder because that and they're not in a position to be fully accountable. And then they, you know, then they moved it to you can't send them, sentence them to life without the possibility of parole, which I think is in the right direction. I've certainly interviewed guys who went to prison at 16 for murder and now 16 years have passed and now they've gone through this process and they really are transformed and rehabilitated and the the cost uh, social and spiritual and financial cost of simply locking them away forever is so disproportionate to the fact that they could become positive contributing members to society now that they've matured, now that they've transformed, now they've been educated. A lot of these guys start reading books for the first time when they go to prison, and that has an impact on their brains, has an impact on their psyche, on their on their spirit. So to me, it's it's a very it's just a very sort of dumb and shameful thing that we would be so afraid that we wouldn't even leave a doorway potentially open down the road uh, for parole. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, Scandinavian countries, for example, tend to give much shorter sentences, and they, not just for murder, but in general, and they tend to have less problem with people coming back into prison. They have less problem with people committing additional offenses later on. So there's a, and I think there's a growing sense that looks like in the current walk up, eventually run up to the presidential election, it looks like the issue of dealing with our mass incarceration problem uh, is going to be uh, a matter for public debate. Certainly when it comes to nonviolent felons, particularly drug felons, I think there's generalized disgust and, and that this is wrong and stupid in a way. And I think a lot of the same can be said for Many of the most violent crimes, when you look over a period of 10, 20, 30 years, what is possible? Well, and you also talk about how with teenagers, the brain is not fully formed, and so the ability to make good choices, sound decisions, is not fully developed yet, and and so they're at risk just by being young, and then you add all those other factors. So if you give them a few years to develop, they can cha- they can change. Yeah, I think one of the great hopeful, optimistic stories generally of the last 30 years or 20 years in research is the malleability or the changeability even of adult brains. And so we have this growing evidence that teenage brains are incomplete, immature. As a result, they don't process decisions or emotions in a mature way. And, and that's one reason to recognize what we do with them, no matter what 
how they behave, what we do with them should reflect the role of that immaturity. And then the good news that in their 20s and 30s, if they engage in different activities, uh, meditation, education, reflection, service, spiritual cultivation, it's not just changing the content, but can actually change the structure and function of their brains. And that's, you know, that's that's miraculous, really, and, and such a foundation for, for hope. I, absolutely, and I think that that's so important because we tend to want to fix people at a point in time and say, that's who you are and you'll never change, and we're so much more than that. Yes, exactly. Um, we have time for just um, one more, um, just a couple minutes. If you could tell us about one hopeful program that um, where people are doing things differently to help uh, really rehabilitate killers so that they there's no recidivism that they are able to maintain a, a positive life in the real world well you know in, in this book listen to killers there's a chapter on transformation rehabilitation one example there's a program in texas of all places maybe that reveals a bias for me to put it that way and i'm in texas <laughs> But well, the Texas program that has taken this taken seriously the idea that transformation is imp- is possible, and involving young people in these meditative and educational activities, and they are offering tremendously successful uh, results as far as reducing recidivism. And they aren't just skimming the cream of the crop, the easy cases. They're taking some very tough cases. In California, now this may be shifting because of funding cuts, but you know they've offered in some of their prisons extraordinary opportunities for educational development and and spiritual development. And often the vehicle for the spiritual development is meditative practice, because in a sense, if you're de- if you're sentenced as a person, young person particularly, to many many years in prison, you do have one fundamental choice, and that is: will you approach it as a savage barbarian, or will you approach it as if you're a cloistered monk? And if you take the monk approach, then you begin to accumulate is meditative and prayerful and religious and educational and spiritual intellectual experiences like a monk. And, you know, it changes your brain, which means it changes your life. All that needs to change then is that uh, the system can recognize that and reward that and turn you back out into society to be a contributing member. I've certainly, I'm in correspondence with a, a few guys like that. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off now because we are out of time. But I appreciate the hope. And there is, there are these stories of hope and the people who you've been in communication with. If our um, listeners go to Listening to Killers and purchase that book or read it from the library, but we hope you purchase it. Thank you so much for shedding light on this very important and serious problem and for providing hope and some answers for help in the future. Thank you and bless you. And thank you so much for joining us today for this very important program with Dr. James Garbarino and for Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you enjoyed today's show, please like us on Facebook by going to my website, paulajoyce.com. While you're there, browse my resources page to purchase his book and those of other guests as well as myself. And to learn more about my services, including coaching, speaking, energy healing, past life regressions, or to sponsor one of my experiential workshops, such as overcoming abuse through self-empowerment, 21 Steps for Healing the Body, Energetic Healing, The Om Awakening, and The Ultimate Creative Problem-Solving Process. And if you mention this show, you get a 10% new client discount on my coaching, which I do in person over Skype or on the phone. When you work with me, you 
get support, guidance, and healing from the spiritual realm. Literally thousands of angels and guides of a high and positive spiritual nature work through me and also directly with my clients. While you're on my website, go to register now and register for my past life group regression. Then go to the calendar of events and press click here to send me an email with your commitment to yourself. As you begin to experience success, please send me another email so I can read it on the air and we can celebrate together. Those of you who live in Dallas and want to experience my ultimate creative problem-solving process at the low price of $20, just join my meetup group by clicking on the icon on my website homepage. We meet 1130 to 1 the first Wednesday of each month, and that means next Wednesday, September 2nd. Everyone who comes is always grateful. And next Thursday, please join us when Dr. Dawson Church will talk with us about EFT, a simple technique that you can do to help yourself heal emotionally and physically, even pain, PTSD, trauma, and depression. In the meantime, if you have a difficulty in your own life or have an inspirational story to share, or if you want to advertise on this show, please leave a phone message at 1-214-736-4460 or send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. This is Dr. Paula, your CM or chosen mom, as designated by Bernie Siegel. Remember, you are loved. Just let that feeling wash over you and through you. Have a blessed week. Thank you for tuning in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Please join Dr. Paula Joyce and her guest experts next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have a positive week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.